Ecclesiastes. We've been in a study in the book of Ecclesiastes, and we're going to conclude chapter 5 today and try to get through chapter 6, 12 verses in chapter 6. And so uh, I'm uh, excited to be here. If you don't know me, I see a few new faces. My name's Travis. I'm the pastor here, and uh, it's a joy uh, to be here and celebrate uh, the risen Savior that Jesus is uh, alive, and that is why we are here. That is why we celebrate, and so we uh, are thrilled, and uh, I'm blessed just by the worship team, and hopefully that was uh, a blessing to you, but ultimately, whether it was or not, it was a blessing to the Lord, and we're thankful for that, and so thank you um, for that. We were running around here a little bit crazy this morning, and alarms, and, and sicknesses, but hey, the Lord be glorified, and the Lord be magnified, and so we rejoice with that. Today, we're going to really see uh, the thought, I have enough, and therefore I can be grateful. It's pretty simple. I have enough, and therefore I can be grateful. Last week, we looked at chapter 5, and we ended a little heavy because we saw that uh, our words matter with God, and we should value our words that we promise to God and, and what, that we say to God, and God uh, sets a principle that words matter, and so we should walk with a level of caution because uh, God takes us for our word, and we should want to back our word out of our love and our devotion for God, but then we concluded, didn't get all the way through chapter 5, but we concluded that uh, we, wanna, we need to kill greed in our life. And so we said that we're going to find today how we can truly kill greed, and that's developing a life of gratitude and developing a life of contentment, this mindset that says, I have enough, therefore I can be content with what God has for me, we've been in this study, we've seen Solomon is on this search for more, we've unpacked some boxes, and essentially through all this, Solomon has, has shown us that he's coming up empty, he's coming up short, no satisfaction, and so here he'll take a step towards a key, and he'll really tell us the key by telling us uh, what it's not, and the key will be uh, contentment, 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 is that the right word? Contentness. He's going to show us how to be content this morning through showing us a few people who are not. And so we can truly kill greed and gratitude can be achieved with a heart of being content. And so uh, I'm excited for this morning. There's a guy named Joseph Heller. I'm not sure if you know who Joseph Heller is, but he was the author of Catch-22, some famous novel, never read it, uh, probably will never read it. But Joseph uh, Heller uh, was known for uh, just being pretty content, but he also had a net worth of $1.1 million at the end of his life. He died in, I believe, 99 or so. And he was just known as this guy. Well, well Joseph got invited to a billionaire's house, which must have been a nice thing. And so Joseph goes to this billionaire's house, and they're having this party. They're hosting this party, and the host, he has a host, and his financial uh, manager of this billionaire comes up to Joseph, and he uh, kind of intrigues Joseph, and they say to Joseph, hey, Joseph, this billionaire makes more than one day than you'll ever make in your entire life with this novel that you've written. And I don't know if it was kind of trying to, trying to uh, set Joseph on edge or, or he was just boasting of his boss. I'm not sure. But Joseph's response is what stuttered them in their words because Joseph says, yes, but there's one thing that this billionaire will never have that I have, and it's that I have enough. Enough. Enough is something that we struggle to comprehend because we never can attain enough, right? We always look for the next 
thing. En enough is something that we struggle with, whether materially, financially, or just literally. Just the other day, I was eating a deep dish pizza from, I think it's Giordano's or something like that. I'm not really sure. Great deep dish. I was craving some Chicago-style pizza, and so I go, and my body was telling me, like, well, I don't know if you had a deep dish pizza, but like one one and a half slices, you begin to fill it. And my body was saying, all right, Travis, one and a half, that's enough. But I didn't listen to it, right? Because you just, in, in, you just love it, right? Enough is something that we truly struggle with. Solomon shows us his life, five chapters now, that he struggled with this concept of enough. He could never have enough. And so often, so do we. And so oh, we live truly in a world that where we, for some reason, believe that the grass is greener on the other side, but we're always stuck with the reality that it's simply not outside the will of God. Under the sun, which we've said is living a life apart from God, the grass is never greener. There's never anything. And so we've ended heavy, and chapter 6 will essentially show us that if we live for this life, for the search for more, it'll lead us to a life of futility. It'll leave us to a life of, of just brokenness and emptiness and failure to be satisfied. And, and we'll conclude chapter 5 and go into chapter 6 this morning. And we'll essentially three, see three struggles that Solomon finds. And it'll help us learn how to be content. Because the first struggle that, that we'll see is, is that there's one who gains, but he can't enjoy it. The next one we'll see is that there's one who labors, but he can't find satisfaction or contentment. And then the last thing we'll see is that, that he finds himself in, in a place of unanswered questions. He can't seem to find a conclusion. There are people, there are things that we'll never know when it hits Solomon a little bit heavy, and so often it does for us too. And so let's conclude chapter 5 and head into chapter 6 uh, by reading chapter 5, verse 18. The Bible says, this, here is what I've seen. It's good and it's fitting for one to eat and to drink and to enjoy the good of his labor in which he toils under the sun all the days of his life, which God gives him. It's good. This is a benefit to you to enjoy life. It's as a gift from God for it's his heritage. As for every man of whom God has given him riches and wealth and given him power to eat thereof and to receive his heritage and to rejoice in his labor, this is a gift from God. This is a gift that God has given us and allowed us to bestow as a gift. But he says this, for he will not dwell unduly, meaning he won't much remember it for the days of his life because God keeps him busy with the joys of of his heart. Let's pray, then we'll dive into three thoughts this morning. Father, Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for uh, just the, the number of people here, and Lord, just the individuals sitting in the seats. Lord, you know the struggles. I don't know. You know the heartache this week. You know the pains. You know the difficulties. You know the circumstances. And so, Lord, I pray that uh, we'll all slow down, that we'll all take a break about the, the, the busyness of life, and, and we'll just dive in, lean into what you have for us this morning. And Lord, may you speak through. Uh, may you speak in, and may you change, may you direct, may you guide, and it's in Jesus' name that we do pray. Amen. The first thing that I want us to, to see in chapters 5, uh, verse 18, all the way really to verse 6 of chapter 6 is this, gratitude can be achieved in this greedy world. Gratitude can be achieved in this greedy world. Maybe you'd say it this way, gratitude is a choice to see life as a gift. Gratitude is truly a choice that, that we have to intentionally make to see life 
as a gift because if we don't, enough will never be enough. We'll never have enough because gratitude is actually a choice. In chapter 5, the end of chapter 5, kind of seems to contradict in our finite minds what he said at the beginning of chapter 5 because he spent some time telling us, hey, hey, you'll never be satisfied under the sun. Good luck. And now he's saying you can enjoy life under the sun as a gift from God. It's like, whoa, Solomon, are you crazy? What, what's going on here? But Solomon is simply pointing us to the reality that we can enjoy life as we see it to a, as a gift from God. Life is actually a gift that God has given us, and we see the failure to be grateful all throughout Solomon's life. Because he could never, he could never attain it. He could never have it. He, he went money, nope, not there. Women, nope, not there. Uh, power, nope, not there. But but we see it in us too. We see our inability to choose to be grateful because we fail to see life as as a gift. That's why uh, there's uh, statistics say the average American has over ninety thousand dollars of consumer debt because it's never enough. That's why it's so easy and so common for a spouse to walk out on another spouse because they, they see something better. They, they think something's better out there. And, and everywhere in between, it's never enough. It's never enough. And so gratitude is a choice that we choose or whether we do or don't choose to view life as a gift from God. And so Solomon dwells on this area. But we see the ability to be grateful does not originate from what you have, but in who has you. It's where's your focus, it's who has your life, it's the ability to view life as a gift because you view God as the giver, because you view God as good, because you trust God's sovereignty over all of these things. And so he says, and Solomon doesn't necessarily transition to a God-centered theology here, because the reality is he's just simply saying it's better to, be, it's better to have gain than to not have gain. There's benefits to that. It's better to have things than to not have things. That's a given. We're more satisfied. I'd rather be rich than be poor. That, that's a hope probably everybody in the room is saying the same thing. He's not talking about the source of gain. He's talking about the heart of gain. We talked about that a little bit last week. And so he's, he's saying it's good to have, but it can't have your heart. And so he says if this is what you live for, if you live for gain, you're going to be like this man who can't attain it. He can't find happiness. He's this man who he has, but he can't enjoy it because he wants more. It's never going to be enough. It's, it, he always just needs a little bit more to satisfy him. And so he says, hey, if this is you, you better enjoy it now because this is what you have to live for. This is it. This is your portion, but it shouldn't be. He's showing us the negative. We should live satisfied in Christ. We should live Content. Jesus will echo something quite different in Matthew 6, verse 19, whenever he says this, Lay up not yourself treasures on earth, where moth and dust doth corrupt and decay, and thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures where? In heaven. Uh, keep the focus where it, where it should be. And after all we've seen, we'll, Solomon will conclude with three realities to gain. You can work for it. You can labor you can steal it, you can live a life of greed, or uh, you can be content with what God gives you as God is sovereign and trust him through it. Those are your choices. In this, in this pursuit for more, you got three choices. Become a workaholic and work, 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 work till you get it, but it's never going to be enough. Or, uh, <coughs> excuse me, live a life of greed, it's never going to be enough. Or just simply be content with what God has you and use it for his 
glory. Last week we saw the conclusion was this. The reality is, is how can we live this way? It's proper reverence. It's proper love. It's a life of love and devotion for all that God is. And so I choose to love him. And so when we do this, it says good. It's fitting for you to enjoy life and be ambitious, dream big. It's good. You can eat, drink, and enjoy life. And he even gives you, he says, the, the, the power and the ability to enjoy it, even the power to enjoy it, even the ability to enjoy it is a gift from God. All things are a gift for God that we should steward well. And so here's a few things we need to realize about the end of chapter 5. Uh, the first thing is this, God's the giver. God, God's the giver. Verse 19, God has given. We're simply stewards. I know many of you have, have built businesses, you've built careers, you've built families, but the reality is God's the giver. It is God who gives. It is God who blesses. And although uh, we may want something someone else has, we trust that, hey, God is the giver, and therefore I'm content because God is the giver. And when we view life as uh, God's the giver, it changes things. It changes the life that we live. We hold our kids a little tighter because God blesses them. God, God has given them to us, but we give. Uh, we, we're a little looser with our kids uh, because we know that they're a gift for God. We, we're a little bit more generous with our time and even our resources because God has blessed us, and so we can bless others. Have you ever had a gift that is invaluable to you? It's something that you just treasure. I have a gift here with me uh, that, of something that, that I treasure, and it's, a, it's an autographed Peyton Manning uh, picture. Who, who likes, uh, now he's not the goat, but he's good. Uh, I can admit that. Uh, but uh, I, I, this is a picture, but it's not the picture. It's not the, it's not the, the writing on the picture that's valuable to me. It, it's who gave it to me. Because a, a few years before my grandparents died on my dad's side, they gifted this to me uh, for Christmas. And so although I love Peyton, and although I love uh, memorabilia and it'll hang in, in the office that I haven't set up yet, although all of those things will take place, here, here's the reality. I don't treasure this because it's valuable. I treasure this because of who gave it to me. Be, because the, the treasurement is in the, the giver, not the gift. And when you start to view your life in that lens, it changes things. Because when you start to view life as a gift from God, it changes the greed in your eyes. Because life truly is a gift. It's not about what you can attain and what you can hang on your wall, but it's about who, who gave it to you and who gave you the ability to even possess and have a gift. Because it's not about, God, what are you going to do for me? God, how are you going to change me? God, how are you going to direct me? God, how are you going to bless me? But it's simply uh, living in all that God even gives us life at all. God, God, life is a gift, and so may I steward it, may, but may I enjoy it to your glory, because life is a gift. Not only that, but we need to understand this. We can be grateful for each moment because life's a gift from God. Verse 20 says it this way, for he will not dwell unduly all the days of his life, meaning he, he won't much remember them because God has kept him busy with the joys of his heart. And to the greedy man, to the greedy man, this is it. And Solomon says, this is the best you got. So you may as well enjoy it and keep yourself occupied so you don't realize the heaviness that's at stake. And, and, so, and, it's, and it's not right. Distraction is not the key, right? Distraction is just delaying the inevitable. Distraction is not the key. And, and what is the key? Uh, living in light of a heart of gratitude, out of love and devotion for, for God. Our culture loves a mindset of distractions. 
Right? We, we live for the next thing. We fill our time. We fill our resources. We fill our energy. We need schedule, and it's good to steward. I'm not saying it, it's not, but we, we're so results-oriented. We're so pushed to the next mark. We want the next activity. We want the next, uh, we're, we're done with this movie series or TV series. Where's, what's the next one? We want the next project, right? We're always going to the next thing, and it's good. We should enjoy it. We've already said that, but we can be uh, such to the next thing that we miss the moment to be grateful for where we are. We see this in people. As you talk to one crowd over here and you say, how was your week? And they're like, oh, it was the worst week of my life. Work was just so stressful, although it may be, and you need to release tension. I get that. Oh, the kids were just crazy this week. I just need a break. And although you may need it, like that's the first thing about your whole week. Like kids were crazy. Uh, work was just school is just overwhelming. And although there may be seasons, that's the result that we go to. And then, there, and then you go to the other crowd over here, and it's like, how was your week? You're like, oh, I'm just so thankful to still be kicking. I'm just so thankful to be alive. God, God's so good. And they'll actually say the opposite. They'll say, say things like, I just, I just miss the kids being around. I, I, just, I, just miss, uh, I just miss when my body could function the way that it used to function. They'll say, I, I just wish I would have slowed down a little bit and just enjoyed the moments that I had because now they're, now they're gone. What's hitting? The reality of life. The reality of life is fragile, and God is not, and we are. And so often we can live for this pursuit of the next thing that we miss being grateful for the moment that God has us in because we're looking to get to the next one. We're always looking for the next thing that we miss the moment in which God wants to move and God wants to work right here where we're at. And although he's written this book mostly from a mindset of under the sun, apart from God, Verse 18 through 20 gives this context of he's, he's repeatedly mentioning the nature of God. This says God gives him. It's a gift from God. He says God keeps him busy. And the key are not things to keep us satisfied. The key is God. The key is does God have access to your heart? Is God shaping the way in which you live? Do you view life as a gift? Because if God's absent, we've already said nothing will satisfy. But when God's the focus, we can truly enjoy life to his Glory, And it's not about living uh, for every moment. It's not about enjoying every moment that he gives for us. But it's about when we're plugged into the giver, we can find satisfaction in, in each moment that we face. Because we know it's a gift for God and therefore I can be content. And we should be content in our life. Charles Bridges once said it this way. I found more in Christ than I've ever expected to want. And that's the opportunity for us. We can find more in Jesus than we've ever, than we could ever even imagine outside of him because that's the way it is. Now, it doesn't promise us prosperity because there's a ton of people in the Bible that they were followers of God, especially the Old Testament, but even new, where they've, they, they, they show themselves as, as outwardly depressed, even wishing themselves to have died and never being born. You see this in Moses in, uh, you see this in, in Moses in Numbers 11, Elijah in 1 Kings 19. You see this in Job. You see this in Jeremiah and Jonah. You even see this in the New Testament with Paul in 2 Corinthians 1. You see that. Why? Because gratitude has to be a choice. Because there are seasons in which I don't feel grateful. But in those seasons, I choose to submit myself to God because God's a giver. And I can be grateful for where I am. Not because I'm happy with where I'm at, but because I'm content, because I'm following after God. Because he's the giver. Because gratitude isn't something that we feel or we leave up to feeling. Because there's plenty of times when we don't feel like being grateful for where we're at. But, be, but we can 
because God is, is still good. It's a choice. We'll see this echoed in Matthew 6, 33, where he says, But seek ye first, what? The kingdom of God. And, all these, and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. And so as we flip the script and go to chapter 6, we're going to see really the first struggle where he really sees this rich man, this, this man who's gained, but he can't enjoy it. And here's what the Bible says in verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 6. He says, There's an evil which I've seen under the sun, and it's common among men. What's the evil? What's common? There's a man whom God has given him riches and wealth and honor, so that he lacks nothing of himself of all his desires. He has it all, but God does not give him the power to eat of it, but a foreigner consumes it, and it's vanity, and it's an evil affliction. The life of a consumed man won't satisfy because it was never intended to, and so he has no ability to enjoy it. It almost hints a scent of bad priorities. He just has some bad priorities in his life. And the evil that was common among men contextually was this failure to be grateful and this failure to be content. Because he said, a man gains, but he can't eat, so a stranger will eat. It's a life of greed. Back to what we talked about last week. And the evil was thinking, if I have more, I'll be happy. It's a delusion. If I have this, then life would be better, but it's just simply not a reality. And so the evil was placing the hope for contentment on a future attainment. And it's just not there. It just won't truly satisfy. So he continues, verse 3. It says, if a man begets a hundred children and lives many years, so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with goodness, or indeed he has no burial, and he says that a stillborn child is better than he. For it comes in vanity and departs in darkness, and its, its name is covered with darkness. Though it, was not seen the, though, though it has not seen the sun or known anything, it has more rest than that man. Even though he lives a thousand years twice, but he has not seen goodness, do not all go to one place. And you really see the heaviness that this man who, who has gained but can't enjoy it, enjoy it feels in this passage. It's a heavy passage, and, and he gives a, a few kind of hypothetical situations, if you want to say, that he labels out. And he says this man has 100 kids. Whether he has 100 kids or not doesn't really matter, but he's, he's essentially saying, hey, he has a good life. He's lived a lot of years. He's had a lot of children. He's replenished the earth. You would think, man, that should satisfy you, but it says he was not satisfied. I don't know about you, but if you have kids in the room, when I had a child, I didn't have a child, but when, we, when my family had a child, man, it thrilled my soul. And that, that, bright, that, change, that literally changed my life. And, and I lived for days that I get to come home from work and, and have the kids brighten up as they run. Hey, Dad, it changes you. And he has 100 kids, lives many years, and he's showing these situations that he has no fulfillment. He has no satisfaction, but he can't because the Bible will tell us that he couldn't enjoy it because he's always looking to attain more. He was always looking for the next thing. It was never enough. And so the Bible says he's alone. He has but he's not satisfied, and so he's left with this feeling of being alone. He says there's no burial, no one to bury him. This is, especially in Jewish culture, this is a sign of complete disrespect. A hundred kids, but no one to care. And this isn't a knock on the children, it's a knock on the father. 
because of the life that, that he lived. And, and he links this inability to enjoy and this heaviness that he feels. Uh, and he says that a stillborn is better off because the stillborn doesn't feel the heaviness that this man lives with because of the greed that's in his life. And it's a hypothetical example, but the child was, has this ability to rest because he does not know the pain in which, in which this greedy man lives. And so there's, there's peace there. And so the, the, the Bible says in verse 6, they both die, but the real tragedy is in the man who spent his life attaining, but he could not enjoy it. That was a real tragedy. And so hell, what's the application on this first point? Uh, live a life of gratitude. Are you living a life of gratitude this week? Think about your life. Did you pursue a life of gratitude or was it just never enough? Was it just something else on your mind, something else on your, something else? Uh, or are you living a life of gratitude to the glory of God? The second thing is this. God gives contentment in our lives, verse 7. So we see the second, uh, the second struggle here. There's a laborer without satisfaction and there's a laborer without contentment because the Bible says in verse 7, all labor, all the labor of a man is for his mouth and yet his soul is not satisfied. For what more has the wise man than the fool? What does the poor have? Uh, who knows how to walk before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of desires. This is also vanity and grasping for the wind. Whatsoever one is has been named already, for it is known that he is a man. And if he cannot contend with him, who is mightier than he? What's he say? Your work won't satisfy, your eye won't be satisfied, and true contentment is found in Jesus. Through contentment is in the hands of God. Because no matter how much you have in of yourself and under the sun, you won't be attained. You only have so much money. You can only uh, eat so many things a day. You can only sleep in one house at, at a time. doesn't matter how many doctors you have. God holds the keys to life and God holds the keys to death. And so we read this. And, and if you're like me, I, I really struggled with this portion here because I read this and, and, and there's a lot in here. And it's almost like, God, do you not want us to be happy? <laughs> God, this, this guy has a lot, but he's not happy. This guy works a lot, but he's not satisfied. God, uh, do you want us to be fulfilled or do you not? But the reality is this. Discontentment will never lead you to a life of contentment. Because it will always be dissatisfied once you get to the place in which you want to be content. Contentment is also just like gratitude. Contentment is a choice. To say, God, I, I need you. And God, and God, I trust you. And place uh, it, and for a believer, we know that we were called to a higher calling, right? We're, we're not called for material things. We're called to a life after God. Mark 8 will echo that in verse 34. If you want to flip over there, you can. I'm going to read it for you. Mark 8, verse 34 says we're built for a higher calling. If you know Christ, it says this, for who he has called uh, the people to himself in which was his disciples also. So he's called the people in and he said to them, whosoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Verse 35. Whosoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whosoever desires to lose his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what profits a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whosoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in glory with his Father. He says we've been called to a higher purpose, but, but if you're like me, uh, Jesus, our, our finite minds, this doesn't feel like contentment. 
God, this feels like suffering, right? I think you've just explained how to suffer in life, not how to be content in life. Like carry your cross, die to self, follow you. Jesus, people killed you. What are you talking about? This doesn't appear to bring satisfaction, but he points us back to the reality that the only true satisfaction is in a life lived for Jesus, is in a life lived pursuing God. And Solomon can't find it, and so often we live contrary to this as well. Because contentment doesn't exist in what you can attain, but who controls your life? And who controls your days? So who controls your days? Who has your life? Because nothing will satisfy. True contentment will say, I'm following Jesus. I'm following God. Verse 9 says it this way. Better is the sight of the eyes and the wandering of desires. This is vanity and it's grasping for the wind. What's it saying? It says it's better to have a little and be satisfied than, have a, than, than dream for a lot and never attain it. It's better to have a little and have God than have a lot but lose your soul. And so it's better that way. It's not wrong to have a lot as long as you have God, as long as you keep God. Uh, the focus is Solomon isn't telling us, hey, you can't dream big, you can't be ambitious, don't start businesses, give everything to the church. No, that's not what he's saying, but he's saying, hey, allow God to be your motivating factor of why you do what you do each and every day. And Solomon's lived this. He knows the gain without satisfaction. He knows the labor without results, without satisfaction, too, without contentment. Because discontentment says, if I have, then I'll be happy. Contentment says, God has given and I'm content. God has given and I trust him. Discontentment says, if I get it, then that's right. That's the spot. But contentment says, if God gives it, then I trust him. I'm, I'm trusting God with my life. And so where does true contentment live in the will of God? Ephesians 6, 6 will tell us that. I'm not going to look at, look at it. Where, where does it lie? It's doing the will of the Father. It's walking into the presence of God and simply says, God, you do. It's not, I'm in your will. I'm going to do so you'll do. It's, I'm going to dwell and let you lead. That's all I want. I just want to dwell in you and allow you to lead my life because I'm, I, I understand life's a gift and I, therefore I'm content. I'm content with what you have for me. Psalm 16 will say it this way. You will show me the path of life and in your presence is the fullness of joy. Well, you really want to have joy, you really want to be content, get in the presence of God. Live in the presence of God. Uh, that's the best thing you have. Study, yeah, work hard, yeah, uh, attain stuff, yeah, invest your money, yeah, but live in the presence of God. There is true contentment. And so the problem wasn't the gain, the problem wasn't the labor, the problem was the, the contentment. He was finding contentment in other things and it was leaving them empty. And so the third thing is this, God has the answers. The third struggle was that there were some questions that he didn't have the answers to. And so we understand now through the sovereignty of God's word that God has the answers. There are just some things that we will never know, but we have to have faith because God does. And so therefore we can be content. It says this in verse 10, whatever one is, it's been named already. And it is known that he is man and that he cannot contend with him who's mightier than he, since there are many things that increase vanity. So how is man better? Who knows what's good for a man in life all the days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow? Who can tell a man what will happen after him under the sun? And so it points us to the contrary. God knows all, God sees all, and he can be trusted with all. 
He knows all, he sees all, and he can be trusted with all. But he asks three questions. The first question he kind of asks is, why bother if it's already known? Why bother? He says this, what one is, uh, the one that is, he has been named already. Why bother? In the Jewish mindset, when you named something, you were revealing its character. Right? Like my daughter's name is Asen and Lola. No clue what it means. I don't have the slightest knowledge of what Aislinn and Lola mean. Never thought to look it up. We just liked the name and we picked it. But in Jewish culture, you didn't do that. In Jewish culture, a name defined its character. It was important. It's kind of died a little bit today, but a name meant something. And so when God created and he named stuff, light is light, darkness is darkness, man is man. Genesis 2, where the man is from the earth, and we came from the earth, and one day we'll go back to the earth because that is what it is. There's no changing it. You can try. Culture can try to change and re-identify things, but it is what it is because it's been named already. And the reality is that, that God doesn't, uh, that, that's not a prison. Like sometimes we can get a sense that oh, that feels like a prison, like it is what it is. There's no point to do anything in life. No, God, is, God, is, God will do his will, but he allows us to be a part of it. And he allows us to take part. And we see this even in creation with Adam. When in Genesis, I think 2.19, God says that, hey, Adam, I want you to go name the animals. Animals already created. We said that God probably already had a name for them too. But he says, hey, I want you to play a part. And so what did Adam do? Did he go just label animals, right? Mix, play the matching game, right? Write a kid's book? No. He, 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 Jewish mindset, he probably spent time looking at the character, looking at how they acted and had the select name for, for exactly what was taking place. But, but the, and I'm sure he was led by God to do so too. But he allows us to play a part. But the reality is it's already been named, at the end of the day, God is sovereign over all, and Adam's knowledge would fail him, and so would Solomon. That's why he says this, he cannot contend with him who's mightier than he. Solomon, wisest man in the world, had a lot going for him, but he comes to this reality, uh, we can't contend. We can try, but we can't. This word contend means to, dis to dispute. Meaning it's no reason to dispute with God. There's no purpose to argue with God. His ways are higher. He's named it all. And so we can, we can submit to trust him. And if you live in an under-the-sun mindset, that can be depressing. Like, God, I want, I want freedom, right? I just graduated college. I, I've been stuck with rules. I want freedom. Like, God, now you're telling me to get back into this circle and just, allow, just trust you and be guided by you. In an under-the-sun mindset, it's heavy. But when we think above the sun, man, there's no greater joy than to walk after Jesus. There's no greater joy than to submit our lives after him. I remember whenever the Lord even called us here to, to this church. This is our 14th Sunday. And so I know that because this is our 10th Sunday uh, in Ecclesiastes. And I remember when God called us here, I'll be honest, at first I was hesitant, not, not because of you guys, beautiful people, but not because of that, I was just hesitant. God, you're doing a good thing over there in Pittsburgh. God, I don't really know if, if you really want us here. God, can, I want to be used in, the, in greater ways. I want to be used how, uh, the, the best and the biggest way that I can. God, uh, how much can you actually use me in a place where there's churches on every corner? And it's been amazing to watch just how God has orchestrated and how God has shown us and delivered and, and step after step, walk after walk. And, and I can just simply say there's no greater joy for my family than to simply answer the call that says, Lord, lead. Well, Lord, guide, because there's some things that I don't know. There's some things that I'll never un understand. 
but when we're led by God, there's comfort. When we're led by God, there's peace. And so that'll lead him to the next question. He says this, who knows what's good? He says it this way, for who knows what is good for a man's life? Well, just like in our situation, God. God knows. It's a simple conclusion. God, God knows what is good. And there's some things that we'll never understand, but we trust God. And it leads us to the third question that he asks, what will be after me? Seems to be a question that a lot of people ask, what will be after me, right? It says it this way, who can tell a man what will come after him? And the reality is God can, because God knows. And, and chapter 6 really sums up and really paints us back to, to a picture of Genesis. Man stems from Adam. We, we see this throughout scriptures. And the reality is it paints a picture of the garden because what is it? God as the giver. God's a giver. God blesses. God wants to give. God does give. And in Solomon's case, in chapter 6, God is the giver. It kind of paints us a picture back into Genesis. But there's a problem because men broke God's law. Men broke God's gift. Men took advantage of God's gifts that he bestowed. And the Bible calls it sin. When we use something that God gives to our advantage and we take it out of the context in which God creates it for and we use it to our advantage and kind of like we hoard the gift giver's gifts and so they no longer become a benefit to us but they become destructive in our lives. And But we see the parallel. God's the giver. Man messed up. Solomon, same thing. God was the giver, blessed him, but he took wisdom to his advantage and pursued other things. And so we see this all throughout. We see this in Adam. God, hey, here you go. Here's a beautiful garden. But there's one thing. Don't touch it. What, what Adam say? I want. This is not enough. I want. And he's deceived and he takes and sin enters the world. You see this in Israel when they're free from Egypt, uh, Numbers 11. Right? And they're wandering. They're, they're, they're on this journey. And they say, man, I remember that food back in Egypt. There are fish, cucumber, melons, leeks, uh, uh, onions, I think there was garlic, and we're over here eating manna, right? And, and they're discontent with where God has them, and so they, they, even to, to a point they wish them to be, they wish that they were somewhere else. And you see this all throughout, you see this in our lives too, how we're just discontent with where God has us, and so we just want to get out, and we just want to pursue other things, but then we see the full circle because, because God came, Jesus came. No matter what, in the garden, there, there, there is a gift. With Solomon, there's a way out. And with us, there is two, because we see faith can be restored and insert Jesus. There, they would look forward to his coming. Now we look back that he actually came, and Jesus came, and he, was, uh, he, he, was, he lived among us. He was perfect. He took on the wrath of sin on our behalf. Why? Because we're broken. Because we have no way out, because we're eternally hopeless, because we took advantage of what God has bestowed upon us. And so we live in brokenness. And so Jesus came, he died, he lived among us, and he hung on a tree so that we could come back into fellowship with him. So we could be restored into new life with Christ. And here's what that means. Because of Jesus, gratitude can be a choice to view life as a gift. Because of Jesus, we can be content because we can now dwell with Jesus. And because of Jesus, God has the answers. And so we can trust him. He's proved it. He died. He's fulfilled prophecy. And he's proved. And so we can trust him. And so the questions this morning would say this. Do you know him? 
Do you actually know Jesus? Do you, do you have a relationship with him? Have you confessed with the mouth, believed in your heart that Jesus is in fact the Lord of your life? Do you know him? The Bible says you can come to know him simply by believing and by receiving the gift. Because God's the giver and the best gift was salvation. Call it eternal security. So do you know him? Have you received that? If not, I'd love to help you understand how you can do that. But the second question is for believers, if you know him, are you content in him? Like, is there contentment in your life because of him? Content and complacency are two different things. I'm not talking about complacency. Complacency is a real problem that, that, it, that is a growing problem in, in, in even the church where, where we just go through the motions instead of, live, instead of living an active life for God. A con- complacency, we'll say it, we would say it this way. Complacency or contentment is I'm happy in God's will. Complacency is I'm relaxed outside of it. And so I'm not saying be complacent, but being content. Being content with what God has for us. You say, how do I know if I'm complacent or if I'm content? Well, ask yourself three questions. Question number one, number one would be this. Do you view life as a gift as you strive to point people to Jesus? Our greatest commission as believers, do you view life as a gift as you seek to point people to Jesus with your life? Question number two would be this. Do we find contentment not in gain but in Jesus, in Christ? Where's the source of contentment? Are you happy when you have the next project done? Or are you happy when you get up from a devotion? Where's true contentment? And the last question would be this. When you don't know, which maybe you know everything, but I don't, who do you turn to? Because there's one who knows and we can dwell in. Gratitude can be achieved by saying, I have enough, not because he's blessed us overabundantly, although he has, but by saying, I have the one who can provide enough that I need. I have Jesus. And therefore, I can be content, and therefore, I can be grateful. You pray with me. Lord, I thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for your word, the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 6. Lord, gratitude and contentment is something that, that we all struggle with. Personally, I struggle with. Always looking for the next thing. Lord, I just bought a, bought a house and thinking of all the projects that can consume my time and energy and effort. And Lord, I pray for me that you'll help me live a life of contentment and, and dwell on the things that truly matter. Is there heaviness in my Sure. Are there things that we need to get done? Sure. But Lord, I may, may my source of satisfaction be solely in you. And Lord, I view life as a gift as we push forward to advance the gospel to live life to your glory and to do things that you've set out for us to achieve and to do and to work hard and to steward our life and to manage our money. Lord, I pray that we won't live a life of greed, but a life of gratefulness because we're led by you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.